All right, let's begin with prayer. Thank you, dear Lord, for your goodness and kindness. Thank you for Christian fellowship. And thank you that we have the truth written for us and so we can know and understand what you've said and live accordingly. Help us do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I've, had, I've redone my slides here. Some of these you have had before, and there's going to be some new ones. If, uh, let me read, if you want to turn to it. Acts 14, 11. Yeah. See, I think I have 11 and 13 here. 14. Yeah, 11, 12, 13, 14. I'm, I'm going, I'm, the reason I'm going to do that, it's not up here. <clears throat> but I want you to know why we're doing this worldview. And so I'm going to read back where we were because this is all going in under Acts. We need to know the worldview because all of Acts is predicated on it and it's not how most people think. So when they talk about this memory of the gods coming down, there are exorcisms in Acts. There are issues about God drawing out the boundaries of nations that come up in Acts. There's all sorts of worldview issues in Acts. And so what I'm doing is kind of in the middle of Acts, Acts 14, laying out the worldview, and then we'll go back to going verse by verse through Acts with this material. And if anybody new joins us, they can go back and reference what we've done on the worldview level. Because, frankly, a lot of people don't understand a biblical worldview. So let me read Acts 14, 11 through 15. And when the crowd saw that what, had, what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Lacaonian language, the gods have come down, have become like men, come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas, Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature as you and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. So that's our context for talking about a biblical worldview in regard to how God runs his own universe. And so the ancient people, even back in the, even by the time of the Bible, still had a memory of what happened in the days of Noah. The, the various religions had stories about the gods becoming like men. And so here we have evidence that in Asia Minor, they were still talking about that. And so when they saw miracles that affirmed the reality of the person and work of Christ in the gospel, they thought, oh, that's it. The, now it's, it's happening again. The, the divine beings, the Elohim, when we talked about that in some of our previous classes, they've come down. But, but Paul said, no, no, no. We're preaching the gospel so that you turn, which is a synonym for repent, and serve the living God through Christ. So the signs and wonders that are done in the book of Acts are there to verify the truth of the gospel and to indicate that the apostles were truly uh, sent by Christ and appointed by Christ. And, and, and also, and I want you to get this because I get emails every week about this, to show that there's a way out of the domain of Satan. Okay? There's two spiritual domains, and they're called different things, but there's the domain of Satan, also called the domain of darkness, or the realm of darkness, and there's also the authority and domain of Christ, the kingdom of God, 
whose citizens we can become by having faith in Christ. And so conversion, remember I always go back to Acts 26, 18. I'm trying to wear that verse out. So far, it's still in my Bible. I haven't wore it totally out yet. But go from darkness to light to the kingdom of Satan to God and the forgiveness of sins and so forth. So that's the background. Now, last time I taught Sunday school, we were talking about the divine counsel. We proved from various passages, and 1 Kings 22 and Job 1 and Daniel and elsewhere, that there is a divine counsel and that it includes good and bad spiritual beings, good and bad angels. We've seen that already. If, you, if you're new, you can go back and listen to the previous classes on this. And so now what I was saying the last time when we ran out of time is that when we come to Christ, we're delivered from the domain of Satan. And what changes that is so profound, and we need to know this so that we don't think like pagans, is that every Christian, sins, our sins are forgiven, and we have access to the throne of grace for God to help us no matter what life brings our way. No matter how difficult it gets, God will help us. And please make sure you know, and if you can memorize things, memorize Hebrews 4.16. You've got to know that verse. Now, why am I saying all this? Because since I've written articles starting almost 20 years ago, now I wrote about this, I get emails from all over the world from people troubled by demons wanting me to help them. And they're looking for an exorcist or a curse breaker or whatever. And you'll see this sort of thing come up in Acts. That's why we're doing this now on a worldview level. And every last one of them now, I just did this two days ago, when they ask me about that, that's my chance to evangelize them. And I tell them, what you need is a change of domains. The point is rearranging the demonic landscape isn't going to do any good if you're in the domain of Satan. That's what I want to know. Whose domain are you under? Christ or the adversary? Light or darkness? If you're under Christ, and a lot of them claim they are, but they, many of them really aren't Christian, so we evangelize them. So, well, then if you're under Christ and you're having trouble with the demons, you don't like what they're doing, praise God, you can go to Christ and, and put it in his hands, let him deal with it. Who's in charge of the divine counsel? God. And so if you go and start talking, trying to move the demons around, you're actually blaspheming God because you're saying you can't trust God to take care of his own problems in his own universe. Hang on. Don't start throwing the rotten tomatoes. I'm going to prove it from the Bible. Okay? Let's go to Jude. I have it up here. Jude, there's only one chapter, so that's why it's just called 8, and nine, eight through 10. Now, it talks about the false teachers here. Jude 8 through 10. Yet in the same way, these men, also by dreaming, defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. But Michael the archangel, now I hope you all know Michael was a good angel, uh, Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. I hope you're seeing my point here. But these men revile the things which they do not understand. And the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these they are destroyed. So I'm going to give this as clear as I can. 
they think they can manipulate the demonic realm and the various hierarchies within it, which aren't even really revealed in the Bible. They think they can do that to their own benefit. And there's a greater to lesser argument going here. Please understand this. We know that Michael is a good angel, a ruling angel. And the greater is this. If, if Michael, who's in that realm, and is good and godly, won't rebuke these evil spirit beings, but turned it over to God, how much less should these false teachers think they can do it? Because they don't know what Michael knows. They're not in that realm. And so you have meetings and these apostles and prophets and these false teachers, they're proliferating all over the whole world, claiming to know what they don't know, claiming that they can uh, go sailing into the unseen realm. I, I, I brought something along here, but we'll see if we get to it. I get emails from some of them. I get on their list so I know what they're up to. Learn how to have visionary journeys, says in the email. The great apostle and prophet so-and-so is going to teach you how to go into the third heaven, how to have visionary journeys. They are literally in direct rebellion against what God is teaching right here. And they're claiming they're men of God. And the Bible says they're false teachers. Why? Because they don't know what's going on, and neither do you, and neither do I. How God runs his council meeting is his business. I'm not invited. I don't I can't see spirits. Can you see spirits? I hope not. We don't want to. It's God's mercy that we don't. What we're going to see in Acts, which we've already talked about, is God's mercy that we're under human rule. If you weren't here earlier, I went back into Genesis and showed the table of nations and how after God brought judgment at the Tower of Babel, he put the people under civil government right? We, we may not like the kings and presidents and governors or whatever. We get all kinds of different civil leaders. But what I assure people of is this. We're better off under them than we would be if we were under the demons. Because they we're in the same realm as far as the physical, visible realm as they are, and we can send them a letter or an email. Or whatever. Or we could go in America, we get to go vote for somebody else. We don't like what we have. And the point is, the other realm, this unseen realm, is real. It exists. There are good and evil beings in that realm. But it's God's realm to deal with it. And our realm to live by faith and not by sight and to believe him. Now, concerning this thing about Moses and the body of Moses. See, everybody wants to know about that. It's not necessary to the point to figure out where that came from because we don't know for sure some people think it came from certain apocryphal material I researched it nobody knows for sure where the story about the body of Moses came from but it was something they would have recognized at the time that Jude wrote this and he's just making a point if you certainly would believe that Michael that they believe that this was the way it was there's still a valid argument. If Michael's not going to do this, then certainly you shouldn't. Okay, but the false teachers go there and think that's what they can do. So um, let me give the context in Jude 6 and 7. If you want to open your Bible, if you're in Jude, Jude 6 and 7. The angels who did not keep their own domain, but deserted their proper dwelling place, he has kept in eternal bounds and kept under gloom for the judgment of the great day. That's Jude 6. Okay. Now, what is that about? Well, certainly about the time of Noah. Right? They, the, what we're talking about is in Acts 14 where, oh, the men have become like gods. Well, they're remembering back to angels that didn't keep their domain. 
Genesis chapter 6, 1 through 4, came down, and we ended up with the situation that led to the judgment of the flood, which led to the kind of world we live in now, and it led ultimately to, after Babel, the boundaries of nations and civil rulers. That's how God rules his universe. Now, there are behind the scenes principalities and powers. We saw that in the book of Daniel. But notice they didn't keep their own domain. Boundary crossing in the Bible is a serious sin. God has drawn boundaries, and the boundaries are important. Those who defy God and cross boundaries that God set are sinning. There were angels that did that and crossed the boundaries and they sinned. Now, what we know is those particular ones are locked up in the abyss. And as Eric showed when he taught through Revelation, during the great tribulation, they'll be let out. And it's going to be really, really bad. They're going to bite people. There are going to be people wishing for death but can't find it. It's so bad. But the scary thing, is that in Revelation 9? Yeah. It's 9? Yeah. Revelation 9. It's interesting in Revelation 9. It's so bad. It's so horrible. But what does it say later in Revelation 9? But they did not repent of their sorceries. There is a lust for contact with the world of spirits, spirits that is so great. And it's sweeping the whole world right now. And people are using every technique they can to try to contact the spirits. They want it so badly because the spirits are deceiving people as angels of light. And people are getting good, wonderful, fun, warm, and fuzzy experiences usually. But every once in a while, the demons can't help themselves. They turn on people and their evil becomes obvious. We need to know that it's evil. They lust for it so badly that in, during the tribulation period, when they actually get what they want, and these things are let back out again to interact with humans, and it's like hell on earth, literally, at the end they still want it. They don't repent of their sorcery. It's a desire. And so, dear saints, we've got to be strong in the Lord and warn people about these false uh, teachings and teachers, yes. Good to um, see you, by the way. Yeah, thank you. Um, this is actually a question. My understanding, and this is something you would tell people, I've run into people who believe that God has spoken to them and all of that. And uh, my understanding, and I'd like you to weigh in on this and see if I've got this right. You know, in the Bible, whenever whenever there's a, a what do you call it, a, a epiphany or, you know, yeah. God, yeah. it's terrifying. It's terrifying. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're always and, afraid. Know, and so when you run into people who say, well, you know, God came and gave me this comforting word or, or an angel came to me, that can't be true. That's completely unbiblical. Isn't that Eric, true? Eric, do you want to you comment on that? Like Isaiah or anywhere else where God shows up? Yeah, it's a good point, um, Eric. I think you're exactly right. In Isaiah 6, when he sees the Lord high and lifted up, he says, Woe to me, I'm undone from a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And you're absolutely right. Um, in fact, I'll be talking about it in the sermon today. We've lost the transcendence of God. So God is both transcendent apart from his creation, and he's imminent. He's with us. It's both and. But we've played on the imminence so much that we've lost his transcendence. And you, you talk to a lot of people, they talk to God like they talk to their neighbor, Ed. You know, and what God's speaking to us really is, is the objective word given to us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, revealed by his apostles. And that's why Bob was showing they were doing miracles. Why were they doing miracles like in Acts 5, where if the shadow of Peter comes upon someone, they'd be healed. Well, it was to demonstrate that these men spoke for God. That was the whole purpose of it. Mm-hmm. And so that way, yes, God has spoken. It's once and for all. And that's why we're to contend for the faith once and for all. If God is continuously speaking to us like our neighbor does, why does Jude 3 say it's once and for all? You know, so you're right. Um, this is a big problem. It's subjectivism versus objectivism. And the Bible teaches objective, not subjective. Right. So very good. So continuing in Jude here, I read Jude 6. We're in 8 through 10, where they didn't keep their own domain. But look at Jude 7. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the towns around them indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire 
in the same way as these are exhibited as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Now, what is the punishment? What was that all about? They wanted to cross the same kind of boundaries. The angels came and the residents wanted the angels for immoral purposes. And judgment came on them. We need to stay within the boundaries that God has put us as humans dependent on him. Yes, uh, Carly, there's someone right behind you. Um, I, I'm just, it's, it's just the light bulb's coming on here, um, and, it, and, it, and it's, it's, I was just thinking that the national boundaries and the spiritual boundaries are the same authority. I mean, well, the national authority. boundaries were established by God. Yeah. And so, so, so the, 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 the ecumenists who want to erase all boundaries uh, in, in regard to religions, we don't want any distinction between the gospel and all the other world religions, or the one world people who want to erase national boundaries are all at war with God's purpose. Exactly. All right. We'll get to that when we get to Acts 17. So, yes. Bob, I think you hit something so important in that verse 7. In that Jude 7, there's, there's two terms in the Greek. Uh, the just as. That's, I'm reading from the ESV. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah yeah. in the surrounding cities. And then the which likewise indulged in sexual immorality. The reason I highlight those is Bob and I have said that in Genesis 6, these angels that came down when the sons of God went into the daughters of men, we're saying that that's boundary crossing, and it was sexual immorality where the angels went after women. Well, here's the proof of that. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to say, well, that's Bob and Eric's interpretation. Jude, who's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write Scripture, is telling you it's a, it's a sexual boundary crossing, just as. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah did what? They engaged in sexual immorality. That's exactly what the angels did. So... This is one of the reasons why we're saying when you come to Genesis 6, Bob and I aren't just blowing smoke. We're telling you we have a divine-inspired biblical writer telling you authoritatively what the interpretation of the sons of God going into the daughters of men were in Genesis 6. Amen. So boundary crossing. And so that's what's, So here's the warning that I think is most pertinent to evangelicals. There is a false teaching that says we need to go by revelation knowledge and find out what spirit is over what geographical territory, like this Prince of Persia thing, Daniel. And then we got to rebuke these spirits. And, and there are uh, literally, if the researchers, and I've researched this, there are false teachers in the New Apostolic Reformation, the Word of Faith movement, who literally are saying we need to command the angels to go get money for us. That's been taught in, in big, huge arenas. And people, oh, yeah, praise God. Tell the angels to go get you money. And they're uh, motivated by greed. I'll talk about that when we get into the Peter version of this in Second Peter 2. And so that's boundary crossing. And here's why it's so bad. We have access, if we truly know Christ as Savior, we can go to the throne room of God by faith in prayer and ask him to take care of us. And so Jesus Christ on, at the right hand of God Jesus Christ, fully human and fully God, the ascended one at the right hand of the majesty on high, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, says, come to me. And we're saying, well, we may not get what we want. We're going to tell the angels what to do that are under him. Whether they're good ones or bad ones, they're all under him. That's why it's blasphemy. We've got thousands of evangelical blasphemers in the church who are blaspheming God with their false doctrines. 
and they're falling exactly into this sin that Jude is warning against. And I'm not the only one to have seen this, by the way. One of the teachers that was at Bethel Seminary when I was there in the 90s, Dr. Thomas Schreiner, says this about it. This interpretation, and I'm explaining that these are are evil angels, okay, back to Schreiner, fits best with verse 9, where Michael's struggle with the devil is recounted, and Michael desisted from reviling the devil. Some commentators see a reference here to good angels, arguing that Jude would not be worried about scorn heaped on evil angels. But, says Schreiner, the parallel of verse 9, where Michael refused to pronounce his own judgment on the devil suggests that Jude referred to evil angels. And I'm agreeing with Schreiner, by the way, in verse 8. Jude's argument, says Schreiner, runs as follows. The intruders insult demons. But the archangel Michael did not even presume to blaspheme the devil himself, but left his judgment to God. If Michael, as an angel with high authority, did not even presume to judge Satan... How can the opponents be so filled with pride that they insult demons who have a certain glory even though they have subsequently sinned? So the glories are demons. Like the prince of Persia that Daniel mentioned. Let's just read it. This is what it says. I devoted an awful lot of my life to trying to help people with these things. And uh, it's the most common email that I get. Uh, Schreiner goes on, says, The words Michael pronounced, the Lord rebuke you, allude to Zechariah 3.2. We already covered that. The Old Testament context in Zechariah is significant, says Schreiner. For the account in Zechariah represents another incident in which Satan attempted to establish the guilt of one of Yahweh's servants. Joshua, the high priest, was in the Lord's presence, but Satan accused him before God, Zechariah 3.1. We might think that Satan rightly accused Joshua since his filthy clothes rep- represented his sin, Zechariah 3.3-4. 3, 3 through 4. But Yahweh pronounced a judgment against Satan, saying, The Lord rebuke you, Zechariah 3.2. The Lord's word brings forgiveness, illustrated by the clean garments which Joshua was clothed. And so... Dear ones, the way we overcome the accuser, and we see this in Revelation, is appealing to God based on the blood atonement. They overcome him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto death. Our hope before God, when we're accused by Satan, which he does day and night, is not that we can tell Satan what to do, or tell Satan's angels what to do, or tell the demons what to do, or to tell God how to run his own universe. Our hope is that Jesus Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order to bring us to God. And in him and him alone do we trust. And it's through his shed blood and the cleansing he's brought that we can be come before God clean and we can trust him. That's what it's saying. And so don't listen to the exorcists and the curse breakers and the spiritual warfare gurus and the Bob Larsons of the world. They're false teachers. They're getting rich by selling freedom, promising freedom while they themselves are slaves. Let's go to the second Peter version of this. My heading, we cannot control God's counsel. It's not our realm. We can appeal to civil authorities. Paul did. But we can't go into the council, council room of God. 2 Peter 2, 10 and 11. And especially those who indulge the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble when they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. And so 
Notice the, the if you have this on your readout, notice the terminology here. It says here, they despise authority. Why would it be saying that these false teachers are despising authority? The false teachers will be saying, no, we're rebuking Satan. How many times does Satan get rebuked every day in the whole world? Millions of millions and millions. Has it slowed him down any? No. He doesn't care. He loves the attention because then we're not praying to God. Why are they despising authority? Remember Job 1 and verse 6? Who was among the sons of God coming before the, the God in the council meeting? Satan. Are we going to tell God that he's running his universe wrongly? We have evidence in 1 Kings 22. We have evidence in Job 1. We have evidence in Zechariah 3. And we have evidence in Revelation, I believe in chapter 12, all of which say Satan accuses us before God. So God allows him to be there. And so are we going to blaspheme God by telling God he's running his universe wrongly? That's what's going on. They don't know it. They think they're rebuking Satan and they're blaspheming God. Because they're saying, God, I can't trust you. You may not do it right. You might give Satan an opportunity to give me a thorn in the flesh and I don't want to take that chance, so I'm going to deal with Satan. Oh, yeah. We're going to get to that, too. Literally, I got an email from a guy says, I'm looking for a deliverance counselor, and I want you to help me. Can you get the demons out of me? And so I do what I always do. I preach the gospel to him. And he said, well, can you help me know who's the best? And he listed maybe 10 people out there that are available for money to cast out demons, depending on how their notoriety anywhere from a low-end $500 to if you're going to go to the head guy, Bob Larson, and his daughters, it's like thousands. And anywhere in between there. Okay? And I said, that you're wasting your money. You need to go to God through the gospel for forgiveness of sins. And once that's done, then Satan's accusations will be uh, pointless because it's all under the blood. Well, but I'm afraid I'll still be this way. Literally what the guy said, I'm afraid I'll, the symptoms won't go away. They're worried about symptoms. We're going to get to Paul Soren of flesh because he had symptoms of some kind. The guy literally said that. So I said, well, I, all I have is the gospel and the message about the blood of Christ. I wouldn't recommend going to any of these people. Well, I'm going to try the guy for 571 bucks. So I went to him. And I got an email back, and he said, it didn't work. <laughs> he's out, he's 570, but it didn't work. Well, how did he know? All right. he's, he's chasing around symptoms. This isn't, I don't think it's that hard. I know people consider these difficult passages, but once you have a divine council worldview, the passages are no longer difficult. They're very, actually very clear. God has a council. The council has good and evil beings in it. And God's in charge of the council meeting. But we live on the earth within boundaries set by God of civil authorities and nations. And we have civil authorities over us and we have God over us spiritually, if we're Christian. And conversely, if we don't know Christ, we're in the domain of darkness. And you still can't just go by symptoms. Frankly, there are people in Satan's domain who are happy, healthy, wealthy, and love the way their life is going. I've talked to them. 
They don't believe there's any demons. And Satan's very happy for them to not believe there's any demons. But there are other people in Satan's domain that have all kinds of torments and troubles. But Christianity isn't there to make people happier while they're in Satan's domain. We're here, like Paul said, when the uh, people from, uh, from Asia, Asia Minor there said, um, the gods have come down. What did Paul say? We are here to preach the gospel to you that you turn from these vain things. If you're going to stay with the vain things, we don't have something to help you with. Be like the seven sons of Sceva with their exorcism. We're going to get to that. I keep telling you we're going to get to things that we only go through two slides on. <laughs> I, I don't blame you for being skeptical, skeptical, but I'm persistent. We will get to all the verses. Now, Schreiner said further, the false teachers, as suggested above, have no fear in reviling evil angels. But good angels, on the other hand, even though they were stronger and more powerful than the evil angels, did not venture to utter a negative judgment from the Lord against these evil angels. Isn't that interesting? And they're in the same domain. They know more what's going on than we do. But God's in charge of it. He directs it, not us. So notice it calls this despising authority and blasphemy because you're not allowing God to run his own council meeting. It's like going into a local council meeting for a civil government and uh, the council votes on a certain thing and they direct the uh, director of Parks and Rec to go set up the hockey winter hockey thing and flood it with water and you happen to have a house near the hockey arena and you don't like kids out there skating and shouting in your backyard so you go out there and tell them to shut it down they won't do it, why? because they're not under you, they're under the council if you don't like what the council decided then you gotta go to the council meeting and state your case but if they decide against you then that's hockey still sits there and you can't go above them. You can't go to the mayor and start screaming at the mayor saying, get rid of the hockey rink. And so just to have civil society working, we have to recognize boundaries, even when we may not like who's making a decision. How much more in the spirit realm? God can't run his own council meeting? I think we'll let him do it. He's been, we, he knows what he's doing. He's all-knowing and all-powerful. And perfectly wise. And in, in his providence, he allows good and evil, and that's the world we live in. Another slide. Ah, here we go. The thorn in the flesh. Good, we can cover this. It's a good time to do so. Paul. Okay, so we have the example of Michael going to God. We have the example of the statements throughout the Bible about God being in charge. And now we have Paul himself. The, the apostle, a lesser, as far as not being in the heavenly realm, he's right here on the earth as he writes this. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 and 8, ESV version. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Now let me read verse 9. I have it in my notes here. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And Paul says, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. So, the answer was something that God had said before, if you look at the tense in the Greek. He remembered what God said, and that was his answer. You get to keep this thorn because you're better off with it because you'll trust my grace. That's what you need. So Paul trusted God's wisdom in running his own universe. Paul didn't rebuke Satan. Paul didn't solve his problem by going into the realm of the spirits and breaking curses and trying to manipulate the spirit world. 
He knew his place. But his place included something even greater, access to the throne of grace. Take that to heart. If we really believe that, it's so powerful. If we really get this worldview as how we think, we'll never again believe false teachings about prayer that include vain repetition, mystical impressions, silencing the mind, because it's nonsense. The privilege we have is to actually bring our real needs to God, the throne of grace, and he hears them, and we use rational language to do it, and he cares about us. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you, and we can go there with everything. Let him take care of us. So Paul did. But what if I don't like the answer? See, that was the problem with that guy that was emailing me. Oh, it might not work. If I can control the process and I can manipulate the demons, I'll get rid of the symptom. If I have to trust God, he might not take it away and I don't want that outcome, so I won't do it. I'd rather control it. That's why it's sinful. Does that make sense? Eric, you have anything to add to this? As you were saying that, I was thinking of uh, Romans eight twenty eight, where Paul says, God causes all things to work for the good for those who love him are called according to his purpose. And if you follow Paul's argument all the way through Romans 8, the, the good that God is working for in all circumstances is our glory, our resurrection. Amen. And so there are times when things happen to us that we don't like, but our goal isn't always getting to resurrection. Our goals may be somewhat different, temporary pleasures here and now. And so we have to remember that God's goal is to bring us to glory, to have us conform to the image of Christ in our minds, that we think like him, that we act like him. And that's not always our goal. And so uh, to me, that's kind of helped realizing in some of the illnesses that I've dealt with, perhaps you're going through some illnesses. All of us in here are going to suffer to a certain degree. It's easier to know that, look, God is doing something. He's doing it so that I'll be glorified. I'll be conformed to the image of Christ. That's his goal. And to me, that gives some reassurance that this isn't in vain. That's, the, I think, the, the biblical answer. Yeah, he's got our best interest in mind. And he will use us as he sees fit in his world uh, and realm. Yes. Um, yeah, I was reading uh, last week in Romans. And I'm, I'm, this is Romans seven eleven. since we're in Romans here. Um, and, and I'll just read this. Uh, this is Paul speaking. Uh, he's saying, For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So when I, the light bulb moment for me when I read that was, you know, it is, see, we are, we're sinners. We sin because we're sinners. That's, that's who we are but we're redeemed. Those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, we're, bold, we're, we're redeemed. We're clothed in righteousness and all of that, but we'll still struggle with sin. So, you know, we, we just have this tendency, and we'll struggle with it all of our lives to one degree or another, to rely on ourselves, because that's yeah. sin deceiving. We want to, you mm-hmm. know, and there's a balance. I mean, yeah, we can't just sit on our, on our, in our easy chair. I mean, God does want us to act, but, but with these things we're talking about, with rebuking evil, that's God's job. We can't cross boundaries, but our sin nature just wants us to, we, we kind of want to do it. We got to fight that. Yeah. Um, let me drill down a little more in this passage up here. Um, Notice it says here, um, a thorn was given to me, was given, ditto me, the common word for to give, but it's uh, heirs passive. And I think some of my better common commentaries are right when they say this is a divine passive. Now, let's see how that, meaning that God gave it to him. Because what, did, what was the answer? My grace is sufficient. So it was given by God. But the agent was Satan. A messenger of Satan. So let's put it into our divine counsel worldview. God's in charge of his own counsel. He's the ruler of the whole universe. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. In Job, what did Satan want to do? 
He said, well, Job will just curse you and won't serve you. Let me, let me take his prosperity. God gave the permission. In the end, we all learn more about God through the book of Job. And Job did too. And he praised God. What about this one? Satan wants to beat, beat Paul up. God gives him permission. It was, grant, it was given by God. The agent was Satan. A messenger is the word angelos. It's a word for angel. Messenger of Satan, thorn in the flesh. And it says here, uh, to harass me. The word harass, by the way, there. I have it in green on my slide. The word harass uh, is the same word used for the soldiers beating Jesus Christ. It means to punch like a punch in the gut. Just boom, punched. Blindside, I didn't see that coming. Boom. Take it away. What is the thorn in the flesh? Now that's where all the ink gets spilled and nobody's answered it yet because we don't know. Some people think that the Corinthians knew because there was a letter written between First and Second Corinthians that's not extant. But we know what we need to know because the sufficiency of Scripture. Some of the better ideas that I read about suggest that it's relational. And maybe something like Alexander the Coppersmith. Somebody said that centuries ago. But it's probably uh, some kind of person continually attacking him without relenting. Yes. Bob, you're commenting about the consul and I, I can't help but in my mind I'm wrestling with keep the mic close is it on? yeah you mentioned the, the consul and I, I'm making the parallel to present day consuls and their meeting and deliberating and, and passing ordinances and I'm wondering is the consul of God that we're looking at here is this a past tense event or is it a continuing operation that goes on? Was Paul here saying he was pleading three times for a variance of the ordinances that, uh, you know, this would be different? <laughs> I'm just wondering. I do Get it, Al. Keep it. Oh, Mike, Mike. Is it something that is an ongoing present tense, or are we just living in the results of something that was in the past and okay. we have the ordinances before us that so we'd appeal? No, it's, it's ongoing. Good question, by the way. Very astute question. <clears throat> I can't remember what I covered. Oh, here, let me give you a preview of the next slide. The council situation doesn't end until Revelation 12. See that? A little preview, and I'm going to go back. What happens here? The accusers cast down. It goes on. All the way into the book of Revelation. Still happening. That's why we have a throne of grace that's continuing. It's still going on. Good question, though. So we have a thorn in the flesh, messenger of Satan, to harass, to beat, us, beat him up. I'm suggesting, I think it's a pretty good idea. It's probably relational. Why do I have to have this torment going on and on and on get rid of this enemy of mine one of the early ideas in church history was it was Alexander the coppersmith was, we can't know that but uh, yes you want to add the mic here to <clears throat> there's a few references in the Old Testament where a similar phrase is used thorn in the side thorn in the flesh and uh, this is just a commentary by MacArthur so I want to know where you would stand on this it's, it's an opponent of Israel's used in those Old Testament yeah that would make it a relational a relational that's, one and, that's what Barnett said too Yeah, so it's it, probably uh, a person yeah. Or persons. So should we yeah so would you, because the Bible uses that in a few occasions in the past, would that put any more? It puts stock it within the realm that? of. It puts it in the realm of possibility. I mean, some people thought it was physical, like bad eyesight. 
because we know he had that. But we're just looking. See, here's what, this will help us, I hope, in our hermeneutics. What we need to know is the worldview here. Because in our case, if we have some, something going on in our life that forces us to decide if we're going to trust God's grace is sufficient or try to take matters into our own hands or demand that God remove something and he doesn't, so then we're are you going to get better or are you going to get better? Okay? So we can learn this lesson without knowing any more than we know. Ron. Uh, I had heard a pastor say, in his speculation, that maybe the thorn was the Judaizers and the constant undercutting of his ministry by the Judaizers. Yeah, which would make it relational. Relational. Yeah, endless attacks. Endless attacks. But what, But in the bigger scheme of things, I think um, Eric mentioned Romans 8, all things work together for the good. Those who love God are called according to his purpose. And... Uh, let me read, as the mic is going around, let me first read 2 Corinthians 11, 14 and 15. This is the previous chapter of 2 Corinthians. And it tells us a little bit about Satan, who is mentioned again in chapter 12 here. <clears throat> he says, No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise himself as servants of righteousness whose end will be according to their deeds. Rod, that's sort of keeping with the same thing. Satan is the angel of light. His servants are like that. It may be relational. It may be false teachers that are endlessly attacking him. You know, sometimes it would certainly be nice to be surrounded by people who agree with us, but that doesn't happen in this world, does it? Yeah. It's just another quick speculation about the thorn in the flesh thing. Uh, a person one time told me when Paul of Tarsus was first, before he became a Christian, was a rising star, uh, there may be, have been a, another rabbi's daughter who wanted to attach himself to a rising star. Then he became a Christian, and the, da- and the woman would broke from him, and it was always in his heart, and he kind of wished he had that relationship. That's uh, just a thought. We, we can't know, but... Okay, so... Do you get the divine counsel part, though? What I've told some of the people who email me is this. If Paul the Apostle, certainly hey, wrote, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, when he was having a problem with Satan and demons, he went directly to God. Should we follow his example, or do you think we should do, have more power over Satan than even the Apostle? I'm trying to do a greater to lesser argument. Obviously, we should go to God because it's insulting to God if we do anything less. My thought was that if Paul gave specifics about the thorn in his flesh, then it would obscure the principle too much. Oh, good point. It's in God's providence we don't know, so we apply it to everything. Good point. Let's go to the casting down of the accuser in Revelation 12 here. Revelation 12, 10, and 11. Before we do that, yes. I have a question on that, Mike. Hold on. Mike is coming. It talks about how Paul pleaded three times. Was it? Yeah, three times. How about, is that, does that allude to the vain repetition where you continue to pray about something because I've, I've had prayers I've prayed regarding salvation for loved ones since I've been a believer. Do we, do we stop praying for something after a certain amount of times? Or is, uh, is that... No, I don't think that's what vain repetition is. But uh, he only prayed three times about it, but the, apparently God answered him directly, too. I'm not sure about that. I think what came to mind was something God had told him, Christ had told him. He has said, it says in the Greek, yeah. my grace is sufficient. But vain repetition would be meaningless babble like, well, yeah, or in Rome where you just say this 50 times as fast as you can. Right. It's not even then, conceptual. Should we, should we only pray about something three we times? Can, we can keep praying. Uh, 
I think so too. But we can pray. We can keep praying about things. But is that in conflict with? No, because we don't know the mind of God. Let's say you're praying for an unsaved relative, and they're still unsaved. There's no time limit to that, um, because you don't know the mind of God, and you don't know when somebody might actually become saved. People we thought were never going to be saved have been. We don't know the mind of God, yes. Yeah, I think of the parable of Jesus where it was the woman that kept kept wearing down the judge. Just She was just wearing it. So that, that would support what you're saying, yeah. I think. Yeah, we can go. It's not a time limit on how often we go. But in Paul's case, he realized he's going to keep the thorn, so he just moved on. And uh, we have some liberty about what we pray and how often. But the vain repetition would be pagan prayer, just utterances that are meaningless. Uh, and to no accord. Let's at least introduce this. Um, let me read Revelation twelve ten and 11. Remember this accuser was introduced in the Old Testament in Job chapter 1 where the adversary, the Satan, went uh, to say, well, is, is Job serving you for no good reason? If he wasn't so prosperous, he wouldn't serve you. And you have Zechariah 3 that we've already alluded to and then also talked about in earlier Sunday schools. Now we're in Revelation 12, 10, and 11. Now I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come because the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, the one who accuses them before our God day and night, and they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives unto death. And that's very, very powerful, very powerful. During the whole time, while this is how God is running his universe, while the accuser is allowed access to that council meeting and does what he does, accuses us, during that whole time until the next order of affairs, which I don't think is going to happen until the millennium as far as implementation. Christ will be right on the earth. Okay, Eric, feel free to correct me because you, you taught Revelation. During that whole time, we're still in the same status about how we can overcome the accuser. The number one thing, whoever we are, we all have different thorns in the flesh, so to speak. <coughs> the number one thing is the accuser who's telling us, we said, God's going to give up on us. We'll never make it. We're not good enough. We failed God. If you don't do better, it's hopeless for you. Constantly accusing us, telling God, you don't want that one in your kingdom. Get rid of them. On and on and on, it's endless. During that whole time, there's one answer for all of us, and it's right here. Here's your answer. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. That doesn't mean they said the word blood 50 times. It means they were trusting Christ whose blood was shed once for all. Efficacious to remove sins. Cleanses us once for all. It says in Hebrews. And the word of their testimony is the same thing. Their testimony was not I'm a good person and I did more good works than other people. That wasn't the testimony of the martyrs. That's not the testimony of any real Christian. Our testimony is confessing Christ. The Holy Spirit, when he comes, Jesus said, will testify of me. If our lives and our prayers are motivated by the Holy Spirit, we'll testify about Christ. And they love not their lives unto death. No matter how bad it gets, no matter what the consequences, no matter how horrible the situation, 
The one thing Christians won't give up is their testimony of Christ. Polycarp, 80 and 6 years have I served him, he's done me no harm, why would I deny him now? Save yourself, old man, have respect for your old age. Why be burned at the stake? But he wouldn't give up his testimony. I'm thinking about the martyrdom of Polycarp. There it is. That's what we have. We don't need to go to the council meeting and tell the devil what to do. If we do that, we're a false teacher. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for your goodness and kindness. Thank you for the saints and people uh, that, that are gathered here today. Pray for Eric that you would help us understand his word as he speaks it clearly to us from the scriptures. Thank you for everything you've done for us. Help us know and understand what you've said in Jesus' name. Amen.